This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Thanks so much for joining me as this conversation features downset guitarist Rogelio Lozano. This is a great example of why I do the Scars and Guitars podcast because Rogelio covers a heap of ground. He discusses the group's new album, Maintain, which is actually the catalyst for our introduction but it's his comments on many of the social issues affecting the United States, such as race and identity, the band's influence on Fred Durst and Limp Bizkit, and also his crucial role in bringing heavy metal to the rap and hip-hop audience, which make this conversation one of the finest I've been a part of. If you've tuned in via the podcast apps, you're going to hear a tune from the album Maintain. This one's called New Respect. And then we'll dive into the chat. And for those of you on YouTube, you know the drill. We'll cut to the chat right now. Let's go. things can you hear me i can hear you loud and clear yes beside the road cases there (laughs) (laughs) thank you sorry about the last uh i I missed the last interview i I was reading the whole sheets backwards it's like the first time i'm i ever use this this way of doing things and sometimes i read it backwards and i read the time zone backwards and so i was actually ready for you at 5 p.m (laughs) <laughs> or it was 5 a.m. I forget what it was, and I missed two back to back, and I was I'm terrible. I'm really sorry about that. I'm glad we can link up again. 
Yeah, I'm glad too. I'm just glad we can do it, but honestly, don't mention it. Shit happens. You know what I mean? It's not like, uh, you know, look, this is all fun, isn't it? This is all something that we all love to do. I know I know, it's a bit more of a career for you than it is for me. This is just a very uh, all-encompassing hobby for me is the best way to describe it, even though I am a musician too and play covers. But, uh, mate, I'm just grateful that I get an opportunity to chat to you because uh, yeah, I am a fan of Downsets from back in the day. Thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot. I was really happy to see you guys back. I've got to say, uh, I remember those those days, Ozfest nineteen ninety seven. I remember reading the reports in Metal Maniacs. Remember Metal Maniacs, oh, and man. just thinking, oh, why can't we get you guys down here in a festival like that down here? Yeah, you know, it was just uh, we never had the offers. We never had the opportunities. Um, I've never, it's, it's uh, those territories in uh, Australia, New Zealand, even uh, South America. Uh, we just, it, we just never got offers to come around down there. Um, I don't know why it was just, it was never uh, our, our turn at that time. We, but we, it's not that we didn't want to, it's just the, the offers weren't there. And then we just, we, we never made it down there. So we anticipate and coming down and hitting the territories that we haven't hit uh, this time around. Hopefully, uh, uh, when when Ray's ready right now, he's 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 has a few little challenges, some personal challenges. Is the only reason why we're not out on the road right now. Um, mm-hmm. But we're definitely anticipating uh, being out and 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 covering these territories that we haven't been to, like Australia or New Zealand and South America. You know, we've never, we've never been down there. We've been to Colombia, but, you know, that was just one show. But, you know, other than that, it's just been, you know, Europe, U.S., and that's it, really. You know, we've never some Canada, a little bit of Mexico, but this band is really, uh, uh, as, as long as it's been out, we've been, we've been around for about 30 years, and we really haven't been a, an extensive touring band. Um, there's still a lot of territories that we haven't been to. I mean, we toured a lot, but not like as much as we should have for as long as we've been around as a band. Yeah, I can understand that. It was a different era back then too. Uh, There wasn't the internet, of course. It wasn't the all-pervasive thing that it is these days. So you couldn't be guaranteed things like pre-sales and advances and you didn't have the analytics that you do these days via Spotify or streaming services and other YouTube this sort of thing that allows you to get some insight as to whether or not you've actually got an audience somewhere. So is right now, especially because I think is, is maintained, is that out now? I mean, I've got it, but is that out right now or is that due to be released soon? Yeah, it was uh, released on the 10th and okay. uh, yeah, it was released uh, uh, on the 10th and we have uh and hits records is going to put it out on vinyl and December, and uh, we'll also have a, a bundle. Uh, Nuclear Blast is going to release a, a bundle seven inch of our first two seven inches that were released mm. before the record. So they're going to re-release those with uh, the original lyrics and the original tuning that we were in. We were in drop C sharp. Um, wow! And I talk nice. about this. Uh, yeah, I talk about this on, on, on most of my interviews that uh, we we didn't realize that we ended up in all of our records ended up in drop C sharp. Um, it happened through default. Um, when we went in to record the first album, somehow, um, I don't know if I was a tune sharp, but next thing you know, the whole thing was in drop C sharp. 
And that's how all of our albums were recorded, predominantly in drop C sharp, but our original sound was drop C. So that's, that was one of the, when we went back to the drawing board for the Maintain album, that was one of the things that we, we had to figure out what, what were, how we were going to tune and, and what color were we going to give the album. So we, we, we recorded some songs in drop C sharp, just like back in the first day when we first, our original sound. And then we did other, some uh, more songs in drop C sharp, a couple songs in, and uh, step down standard. So, you know, this album is going to have some audio color. Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, yeah, that, you know, these are the releases that, that nuclear blast and N hits are, are, are going to be dropping and, and they've both been doing a, you know, a great job with campaign and, and the artwork and all that. Mm, yeah, I agree. Yeah, the artwork looks great. The sound Thank is you. unbelievable. Uh, playing it over a car stereo, you know, through the Bluetooth. So I don't have a car play. I've got a two thousand. I've got a Jeep, an old Jeep, and an old Land Cruiser. And over both through those bloody FM radio receivers, you've got to plug into the cigarette lighter. Yeah. It sounds magnificent. So there's about three or four points of failure there, but it still sounds magnificent through that process. So who was the producer you decided to work with to give it that heaviness? Yeah, it was it was a combination. It was a team between Nick Jett and myself. Um, we we got to, Nick Jett from Terror. He plays drums for Terror. Awesome. Okay. He mm. also produces a lot of bands out of a, a home studio in, uh, in North Los Angeles, uh, uh, the city's called Granada Hills. It's a home studio. Uh, we decided to go and, you know, after all these years, um, it was some pressure, you know, we were, we went through pre-production or we writing our songs after we got signed and, uh, you know, going into pre-production with, with practically nothing and, and, and starting from the ground up was, was a difficult task. Um, but, uh, we, 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 uh, wrote 15 songs and then Ray Oropesa, our singer, uh, sang to 13. He wrote lyrics to 13 of them. And, um, so we decided to go to the home studio instead of a, a, a full blown, you know, uh, corporate studio j- just to have more time. So instead of having two weeks, you know, because it's cost three times up to four times the amount versus mm. going to a home studio. Uh, that it, the home studio is called uh, Jet to Mars. And um, <laughs> so instead of going to uh, like uh, Sound City or Conway Studio and, and spent all our budget in two weeks, we, we went to this house and, and blocked off two months. And so we had a lot of time. We weren't racing against the clock or the budget. And so uh, with all that extra time, we were able to spend uh, to save some money and uh, uh, rent some really cool mic pre's like uh, uh, the 1073 Neves and uh, 1083 Neves. So I rented six of those. That the house also has a a, a cool you know has, they have some good gear, um, but we needed a little more you know uh, you know a little more uh, how to say salt and pepper and for for you know, for the cooking. And so, I, you know, I, I rented microphones and, and, and all these, uh, these are connections that I've had from, from working at recording studios in the past as a assistant engineer and a runner. Um, when I'm not 
you know, touring. I'm usually working in the studio uh, as in those days and in, in, in my last 20 years of in and out of the studio. And if I'm not in the studio, re record another band, I'm, I'm, you know, in my band trying to do my stuff or, or just working, playing. But that's how I learned my chops. And, um, you know, uh, Nick Jett, he's, he's been hot, you know, he's been recording a lot of bands. And so we got together and him and I, you know, we formed a really good team. And, um, you know, our objective was to, you know, sound old school, but, but take advantage of, of the, the contemporary audio um, uh, amenities that are out there um, for today to, to help us, you know, it's not easy to, to, to track and, and voila, you have a great sounding. It, it takes a lot of steps. Uh, you know, uh, we, we, we have to make sure it, that we have the best drum kit possible. Uh, and the drummer has got to be on his A game and, uh, you know, the, the, the drum heads have to be changed you know, every song you have to have a drum tech. Uh, it takes a lot of money to just record a time and, the main focus was to get that template down and lay a good foundation with the drums. Once you have a good foundation, a really good sounding drum tones, then you can really compile and take your time and fit things into sound how you want them. And then tying it all in at the end, making sure you go to a good mastering uh, studio, which is very, it's, it's like, it's important because when we were done tracking and mixing, it sounded really good. And, and I thought it was, it couldn't sound any better. When we went to a Howie, Howie Weinberg, that's the mastering guy. When we went to his studio and um, mastering, that's a whole other level of engineering. It's a, yeah. I, I have, I have no idea how mastering works. Um, it's just a whole different trade. And, uh, and when you walk into the studio, he's just got these machines and, I have no idea how to operate. When you take me into a tracking studio, you know, it's like, a, I'm like a kid in a candy store. It's a whole different ball game. It's, it's different. So we took our, when we took our record to that mastering studio, it, it must've bumped up the, it must, I, I mean, a good 10% sounded better, at least 10 to 15%. Everything we just fell into place. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't believe how great it sounded. I, I, that was the goal. And um, we we achieved it, and, and we're really happy with it. And then thank you for the compliment because that was one of the goals for me. Is you know because I had put the, the responsibility was put in my hands with you know to produce this, to hiring the you know Nick Jet and engineers and and the studios and the rentals and making and scheduling the pre-production, scheduling the recording session, um, all of that. It it you know it takes a. a you know, years of experience to be able to, you know, be able to fit all that in together. And it was two years in the making from mm -hmm. doing the demos to shopping the demo, to getting the record deal, to going into pre-production, tracking, mixing. And here we are, it took two years. And so it was um, quite a ride and, and, and it was pretty flawless other than the pandemic getting in our way. You know, it, it we had to take a five month break because our, our files were stuck in the studio and we couldn't go back in because of the lockdown. Oh. That was, oh, yeah. that was the, the first wave, you know, and we were doing, we were doing the demos, but um, you know, and then we had all the other, um, you know, the Delta and the Omicron and, 
And then when, when the Delta came in, killed our, uh, our manager died. He might, he died from the oh, Delta. Gosh. So we had, we had some obstacles. Um, things were trying to get in our way. You know, I don't know if it was the devil, Satan was trying to get in our way. And we just, you know, pray through it and fight through mm. whatever negativeness was trying to, to, you know, to stop things. Cause it happens, you know, there's going to be obstacles when there's something great happening obstacles are going to be presented and you got to find a way around it through it or on top of it over it and you just got to you know that that's how the the our the name of the album maintain came about um it was basically we just had to hold it down we had to hold we had to hold down to our faith we had to keep courage and and and, and believe that we were going to be able to complete this album because it, at one point it felt like it wasn't going to happen if, you know, we weren't going to get back in the studio to finish our album. We had no idea what was going on. The pandemic was, was very yeah. confused in the beginning. So throughout that time, you know, when we were in pre-production, I've never felt ever that my life was threatened or in danger by going to a rehearsal. Yeah. And, and where we were at, we were at, um, we rented a rehearsal space in uh, downtown LA it's called uh, Downtown Rehearsal, owned by Chris Poland, the ex-Megadeth guitar player. Nice. Yeah, he, he owns this big building, uh, three-story building, uh, and uh, it must have about 100 rehearsal rooms, it seems. <laughs> it, it, and so when we were first there, um, there were signs all over the walls and, on um, you know, on in, in the in the elevator. And, and it was just, you know, reminding you, hey, keep your mask on wash your hands because uh, um, level three is full of COVID floor three is full of COVID. And we're like, Whoa, man, we're going to get in. So um, during that time, Nick Jett got really sick. He got really sick. He was bedridden for three, three weeks. And he, he thought he was going to die and he disappeared there for, for a minute and we just thought, you know, it was just part of the pandemic and everybody was just taking, doing their thing and, you know, and holding it down with their family. But he got sick. And, um, um, yeah, so a few of us got sick. I, I just caught COVID a month ago. So I thought I had made it and everything, you know, okay, I made it. I, I'm not going to get it. And I get it. And so um, we were, we, you know, it was a big challenge through this whole thing because of, of, the unknowing with, with what was going on and maybe it, it added, you know, to our drive and, 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 and maybe it gave, I don't know, maybe, maybe helped, who knows, but it was definitely the most difficult album in, in my career to get done because of all of these obstacles that have went through. We had yeah, it's been through. a shitty past few years, hasn't it? we've it's it's not just the fact that we've had COVID it's the politicization of COVID and the way it's been weaponized the way it has been you don't want to do anything wrong do you no one granny to die this sort of thing and that's not taking away whatsoever that I mean you've just said it your manager died I'm really sorry to hear that this is a fatal disease in many instances okay but it just the way human nature is mate and the way that things get politicized and it carried on didn't it because of course now California is very similar to parts of Australia. COVID, what COVID? It's just a thing of the past. Yeah, it, it seems like uh, all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah. And uh, masks are gone and um, 
you know, the, it was, um, yeah, the, the, when, when all that political stuff, you know, during, um, um, the whole thing that happened with, with, with the police officer and the man that was killed and, um, and the BLM, oh, yeah. George Floyd, yeah. yeah. Floyd, and, and, you know, um, that polarized a lot of people and, um, uh, it separated a lot of people for, you know, now it seems like you know, people are, 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 are getting back to their senses and, and, and becoming friends again, who, however you were polarized, you were on one side and then it was just a very biased way of thinking. If you're on this side, you're going to just be a biased way of thinking over here. So it's like, um, it's your, it, it felt, it felt like there was two countries here at one point. It felt like, definitely that it was not the United States of America. It was the divided States. It felt like, uh, it felt like there was two countries, the Republican States versus the, the democratic mm -hmm. States. And at one point I was just suggesting we should just turn this country into two States, you know, and, um, and it, a lot of my buddies who want to get into political debate, uh, um, I would bring up that suggestion. Well, how about we just, figure out how, you know, here's, here's my, my theory. Let's, let's make it two States and uh, make an agreement with the military. And I think everybody would be happy. You can go move to your, your, your democratic state and, and the Republicans can, Republicans can live in their States and be happy. And hmm. um, there was no argument there. And, and it was funny. It's a, all this just kind of, it's kind of went away and, and people are just getting back to normal Bands are starting to get out and touring. Uh, yep. Kids are playing in the streets again. Uh, movie theaters are opening. A lot of shows, a lot of shows, a lot of venues are, are reopening. Um, you know, and, and, and also at the same time, you know, giving heavy metal a chance, giving hardcore a chance, giving punk rock a chance versus, you know, in the 90s, it was dead. And we had to rebuild it in and, and the 2000s, you know, it was barely getting, you know, notice, you know, our scene and our metal punk hardcore scene was, you know, not as accepted as it is now. So I think, um, I, I think in a way it's just, uh, everything's opening up again and, and all the, all the, all the avenues are open for, for any type of music and, and people seem open-minded and ready to, you know, live life normal again, hopefully. Mm -hmm. You know, other than what's happening with the economy and the gas prices and and this war, it, it all seemed like it was scripted. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, we you know, no, I agree with you. That's a really good point you make right there. It does feel yeah. scripted, doesn't it? Yeah, man. And and uh, you know, I just I I can't I I for me I, the more I try to figure out, figure out, the more confused I get. Um, so I just, you know, I depend on God as much as I can. And, um, you know, and, and I feel a lot better when I do. And, you know, uh, I just, you know, try to live a, a, a normal life and, and, and keep positive and, and work as hard as I can. You know, I have a nine to five job and which, you know, which I don't like so much, but I, I know it. It makes me hungrier. It makes mm -hmm. me hungry to keep my nine to five job, no matter what. Whether if I'm signed on a major label or independent, um, I always keep my job. It's very important. It keeps me. It keeps me hungry until I gotta leave, and then if I have to quit the job, I quit. But 
Um, you know, right now, uh, my main focus is to work as hard as I can at, at work and, and then really do everything I can for my band until the opportunities start to arise. I'm starting to get a lot of show offers. Right. And so, you know, I want to, I want to put together the right package. I don't want to burn the band out and, and, and go out for five months off the bat. You know, we want to start slow and then, and hopefully start doing some long tours again. But in the beginning it's, you know, we're going to test the grounds, see how, see how it is out there. I, I, a lot of my pals that are out touring say uh, they're having a good time. Um, uh, things are, are getting back to normal. Uh, Tara just got back from a U.S. Mm -hmm. tour and they said that things are feeling a lot normal and they're, they're about to go to Europe finally. And, and, and um, they say that uh, things are looking uh, promising and, 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 and the bands that are out there right now are, are happy touring. So um, right now it's not our time. We just got to wait when it's to, it's our time and then, uh, and be patient. I've, I've, I'm dying to be out there playing my guitar, playing in front of people on stage and interacting with, with the kids. I'm, I mean, I, I just can't wait. I just can't wait, you know, to interact with our following and, and the people who have been, you know, patiently waiting for this album and, and who have followed us for so many years, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, I really appreciate our following and, and, and the feedback that and the support that they've been giving us, um, you know, it, it's, it's a different time these days. Um, um, I've released an album with Powerflow two years ago. Yeah. Good and album. I got, what, I'm sorry. Right out. Solid. Oh, man, thank you. Yep. Thank you. Um, so I, be, before that I hadn't really released an album in a few years, maybe a few a few years, but um, I started to get a taste of 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 how um, you, you, you know how how things are going uh, as far as you know how how the progress of technology and and you know with doing interviews, Zoom, and um, just uh, uh, everything that you know a, a lot of cool tools that that are presented for us to be able to help our band and, and communicate and, you know, uh, re recording equipment is, is progressing and um, just a lot of cool tools now. And so I'm starting to get a hang of how to, to do things um, with all these, uh, these, you know, amenities that are presented. And, and so it's, a, it's, it's almost like you have to relearn your whole uh, trade in a way, um, versus how things were back in the day. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, even from from the the two years from when I released the power power flow four years ago is 2018 to now. It's definitely it's changed so much in the four years, and so um, you know I got to keep up, and and it's a matter of you got to keep up. You have to. You have to change with the times. A lot, a lot of people, a lot of guys my age, are stubborn and don't want to um, progress. You know, and, and learn how to use a computer or their iPhone. Um, yeah. They're just, hey, just call me. I'm, I'm not into texting. You know, and and so you have you have to move with the times because things are quicker and and you know, it, it, so that that's that's what I, I'm in the middle of learning how to how to get a hang of all this, you know, and, and, and really use it for a, 
for my band and, and to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've had some, the last few years have been great for you. I think in so far as power flow, that self-titled album made a dent and it, to me, it, it proved that Sen Rays was a heavy metal fan. Whereas beforehand, I've got to be honest, I was a bit on the fence. Is he taking the piss? Is it just sort of like a, uh, what do you call it? Is is it just an artifact in his career or does he actually genuinely like heavy metal? He likes heavy metal, it turns out, because your guitar riffs, I mean, they're punky, but they're heavy metal at the end of the day. I can hear it. Okay. So Powerflow, yeah. you, was it was there a bit of a tug of war in within yourself about whether or not to continue forward and release another Powerflow album after the self-titled one in 2017, or did you have your heart set on the on going down the downset path? Well, um, you know, it, it was, for me, Powerflow, um, I've been with Cypress Hill uh, since 1999. I recorded many albums with them. I did uh, mm. the Skull and Bones album with, and I played on Rock Superstar and Can't Get the Best yes. of Me. And then uh, I played on uh, Stone Raiders and, and Till Death Do Us Part. And then countless rap records with DJ Muggs. He hired me as a as a uh, hired gun. And so these guys, all three of these guys, they they love they love rock and roll. Their favorite bands are Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin. They, you know, they've always loved rock and roll. Sendog was, was a big rock guy. Um, but hip hop was in the, in their community. And, and, and what I mean by that is it was a big wave back in the eighties, uh, a dance craze of uh, the break dancing craze, break dancing mm-hmm. and popping, uh, DJing, b-boying. Hip hop was really heavy back in those days in the eighties. Um, you know, there's kids break dancing on the streets. You see cardboards boxes just laid down on the floor in every street, and and you had crews of kids, and so everybody was rapping. I was rapping. I was popping. It was, it, it was a whole new thing, and so I think that's where you know that's where Cypress Hill, you know, started their whole rap career, and and there there were good rappers, and DJ Muggs is from from New York. And he moved out here when he was, uh, I think it was 13 or 10 or 13. And that's when he met Be Real when they were 15. They formed Cypress Hill. And then um, so some of their songs in the first album have um, have some samples of of The Wizard from Black Sabbath. It was, uh, they have one sample of uh, the harmonica. Mm-hmm. And if you hear some of their albums, they have, you know, these, these Black Sabbath uh, uh, snippets and, and samples. And so when I met them, I asked them, when I first met them, it was uh, 98, 99. I asked Sendog, hey man, do you guys really like Black Sabbath? Because I heard that sample on one of your songs. He goes, man, we've been, we've been into to rock and I've been into rock and roll before rap. And I've always wanted to do a rock band, but ended up being a rapper out of default. And the, mm-hmm. oh, wow. you know, so, so then we ended up doing the rock, the, the, the Skull and Bones record, and then we just became, you know, we were pals and became friends and and and, and stayed friends up. When we did the Power Flow album, it was an idea. Uh, it was Sen and I's idea to to help him make a, like a solo project, but he wanted to make a rock, like a, a rap rock album. And so we were in the studio, we were doing demos, 
And uh, there was a part where I had asked Sin, it was, you know, I use certain words to communicate with, with the singers or the rappers when I'm recording them. And, you know, certain words that will help them understand what I'm trying to tell them because it's hard to say, hey, sing like this or, or, or rap like this. And, and, mm-hmm. and they're sitting on the other side of the window with, with the mic, you know, looking at me like, what the hell are you talking about? So I made up a word called power flow. And when, when there was a, a part where I needed Sin to be more aggressive in the rap, I say, hey, Sin, you're kind of talking in this, you're kind of talk rap, rapping. You know, instead of talk rap, how about, a, how about a power rap? How about a heavy rap flow, like a power flow? Power flow that, power rap that area. Oh, okay, I understand. And then the light hits, and then he understands what I'm trying to say, just be more of an aggressive rapper, like a mm. yell rap. And so when he came out of the, the, the vocal booth, he asked me, hey, that word power flow, is that like, a, is that some word that, is that a common word? Or is, no, it's just a word I just made up right now so you can understand what I'm trying to tell you. He says, well, I like that word. Let's call this, this project power flow with no W. No W. Okay. So that's how it started. But to me, power flow means uh, rap style. It means rap core, um, another word for rap rock. And that's all that means. And so um, when we started power flow, um, we, we went in with the intentions of making a, a rap core album. And so um, we did that. And then uh, we, we did the demos 2016 we got we got a, a small deal with New Damage Records from Canada, um, 2017. Recorded the album and then we toured all of 2018. Um, in between, it, while I was recording the demos, I I, I recruited Christian Oldewobers, and we already had Fernando Schaefer from Brazil. And then um, halfway through the album, we recruited Billy uh, Gradiade from Biohazard. Oh, he joined yeah. he joined halfway through but i was i was mainly producing that album because uh you know i had to put it together i had no choice but to so that was really my first production as a producer was the power flow album and but we were at a really really nice studio with jay baumgartner um pressure was high but we had a really good drummer so it's really important to have a really really good drummer if you're going to go into an expensive studio and track because yes, if you don't, I absolutely agree with that. You're gonna lose, yeah. If you don't, you're gonna lose all your budget uh, in in three weeks. So um, I was very confident with this guy. He's such an awesome drummer. Laid down the foundations, and after that, we were able to go to a, to to other studios to do uh, vocals and um, overdubbing. And we went to Billy's studio. And, and, that was and Fernando, fin- wasn't it? Fernando Schaefer. Yeah, Fernando. Yeah from the band worst he's he's the best he's so good um when we got to the studio it was in north hollywood it's called nrg and uh, a a lot of a lot of bands have recorded there from no doubt to papa roach and limp biscuit was there when we were recording oh god and so when god Fernando- help us all. were they scared of you <laughs> they should have been <laughs> they should have been scared of you. Oh, they, look, there. Look, where's Ball and Decide? I, I won't. I'm not going to say anything about the musicians. People who listen to my show know this, but look, they're a bloody awful band, and, I, and I've long felt that you were the precursor to what they ended up popularizing. 
Okay. But you guys are legit. I mean, you're, you're, I've got to hand something to you here, Roy. You're the bloke who legitimized heavy metal within the rap community. Okay. Because the flow, it was going the other way for so long. You constantly heard about these metal bands, even obituary talking about how much they like DMX and Wu Tang and all this sort of shit. I don't like any of it, to be quite honest with you. I can't graft with any of it. I'm a metal guy, rock guy, funk and jazz too, panned right up the funk, jazz and disco. Love black music. I'll put it out there now. It's got nothing to do with, you know, not, not liking black music or what have you, but it just, it doesn't groove for me. It doesn't groove for a lot of rock and metal guys. I'm sure you know this. Okay. But your work, particularly with that, uh, that track in 1999 or year 2000, uh, with, uh, Cypress Hill, I'm not a, not a, you know, big fan. I've got to be frank as I said, but is it rock superstar? That song there. And listening to that song and then your detailed history with all of these rap artists and the way that you've brought them into the fold, because unlike Tom Morello, who's long sort of put metal aside, he sort of goes like this to metal. You don't. You embrace it. You're the man like that. So I think I think people need to know that. And I hope through my show we sort of give you the props that you so richly deserve for doing that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You know, um, uh, bands like uh, Limp Bizkit, um, we got some POD, uh, mm. Body Count. Uh, you know, Body Count was out before us. Uh, Limp, uh, Rage Against the Machine. We didn't know that they were doing a, an album at the same time that we were. So when they came out, it was sort of like, a, uh, I don't know if you remember when the specials and the selector first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the specials, yeah. Yeah, they came out at the same time. And so when they found out about each other, we were like, whoa. You know, the same thing with Rage and us. Um, we didn't know that they were, they were doing, you know, an album. And when they dropped the album, uh, Zach, Zach De La Rocha was talking about um, uh, inner city struggles that he never had really uh, any experience with. So it- uh, No, Ray, I agree with you. You're right. You're so on point when you say that. It's ridiculous. Whereas yeah, you guys lived it. Yeah. And, you know, not taking anything away from his talent because he's a great singer, great musician. He plays really good guitar. He played uh, guitar for Hard Stance and- inside out he sang for inside Mm. out and we used to follow him and play shows together um and he just he just grew up in a different area it's uh orange county um really really nice tom morello tom morello growing up in orange county you mean or or zach Zach Zach. yeah and then tom morello is he from massachusetts i don't know where he went yeah he's not from california yeah he's from somewhere else his his mother his mother or father was a his father was a diplomat i think and his mother was an academic so he certainly comes from don't get me wrong he didn't grow up anywhere near hardship from the sounds of things if you know what i'm saying i don't know him i've never met him i know plenty of people that have met him say he's a lovely guy but I've got to be frank, mate, there's some insincerity there with that group. And I think a lot of people like me who are hardcore rock and metal fans, we can read between the lines and we see that I'm not suggesting it was a marketing tactic, but, you know, it didn't hurt, did it? Okay, because they were on about a lot of stuff that sort of made them. Your, your band's original name was Social Justice. You owned that. Okay, and I think a lot of people had people like me had their ear to the ground. were going, "What are you? What are you singing about?" Okay, I'm a fellow from Australia. I don't know anything about this, but it sounds pretty interesting, and it's something that I think I need to know about. Whereas Zach had his finger as everybody going, "You white bastards!" Effectively, but the whole crowd was full of white people. It was this contradiction. Yeah, it's bizarre, man. You know, um, we definitely. Um, I feel that you know 
we have something in common. I think we've grown up through the rough parts. As I know Australia, it can be, you know, there's areas that can be, you know, pretty hardcore. Oh, brutal. And Parts of Sydney are just bloody, bloody violent, extremely violent. Never makes the media, but they're extremely violent. That's what I hear. I hear that it's it's a lot crazier than what, what we see out here. I hear that there's some some shit going on down there that that we, we don't see in the media. And and same with here in the nineties, there was some there was gang. Yeah, talk to sorry, just to just to sorry not to interrupt, but talk to Mike Muir. He's lived in Sydney. He knows all about it. He gets it. Mike Muir. Yeah. Mike Muir. Yeah, he, yeah. No doubt you know him. He's he's his kids are Australian. He's. I think oh, really? he lives up. I think he lives up around me these days. Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast area. I think I could be wrong, but he's talked about it in the past. Yeah, but he knows because he lived in Sydney. He's seen firsthand how violent. It can be, oh, wow. and some of the shit that goes down there. Yeah, I mean, it makes it's 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 not gang violence and the typical side of things. A lot of it's ethnically related, though, because Australia is very multicultural. If you know what I'm saying. So, if you're a white boy, you're gonna fucking cop it in some of those areas. You've really got to have your back and just not go to certain places. Yeah, man, it, it's 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 rough for it's rough. It's it's some places, um, like I said, you know, um, uh, LA. It's it was a whole different way of growing up. Um, they would call me a minority. Um, mm. I didn't understand that. Um, and which it never was a minority. Uh, you know, or the Latino was always the majority in the West Coast, man. Yeah, of course. And we were called minorities. So I, I didn't understand that. I didn't get it. Um, I wasn't really one for 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 getting into politics and, and trying to make a difference like Ray was. Um but I learned a lot from Ray. Uh, he, you know, talking, talk, being open and, and, and talking about these social issues uh, made me aware of, you know, and um, I felt that in a way I wanted to do something about it. If, if, if my music was the way of doing it, then, you know, you know, in those days, we, it was hard for, for people, for bands in the East Valley, which is North L, Northeast LA, Hmm. for you know it was predominantly latino for bands in these areas to get a record deal or for even for bands to even form out of that area and humongous population enormous the population in the valley is is bigger than most countries in the world yeah so there was no reason why bands shouldn't be springing up out of there like like hotcakes there was just no reason for that different now um but back in those days, I wanted I, I wanted to make a difference, and we did. We got we got a record deal. We got signed on a major label, Mercury Polygram, and we were able to, you know, knock those walls down for other for other you know other bands to come out of our area. And and I felt that we did. Um, I felt I, I'm proud of that. I'm proud to see that a lot of bands are are forming out of our area. There's actually venues. In our and where I grew up, whereas there was nothing like that. There was just no venues. The, the nearest venue was Hollywood, and they wouldn't give, like I said earlier before, they wouldn't give us a hardcore bands, straight edge bands, or punk bands, metal bands. Mm. It was dead. It was just not. But these days is different. Uh, man, it, it's it's you know we can go on and how how it's different politically and and what I'm dealing with right now versus what I dealt with back then. Hmm. But like, you know, going back to um, these bands like uh, Rage Against the Machine and, and, and Limp Bizkit, um, 
uh, for me, um, I find ways to enjoy those, those albums. Um, it helps me, it helps me creatively. It's not like I listen to those albums and say, okay, now I got an idea. Uh, I it just, I, I like to hear what other people are doing, especially, uh, bands that are somewhat in my genre. You know, I, I root for these guys to, to, to do well. Um, it only helps us. It only helps us to reopen doors. And, you know, we've been, we've been, you know, really, uh, using up all of our energy, knocking these doors down, knocking these walls down, you know, and now let's, let's have other bands do that for us. You know, like let's have mm-hmm. bands like POD, Limp Bizkit, Papa Roach, Body Count, uh, Lincoln Park, Raging Against the Machine. Let's have these bands get big again. So it, it can get the rap core scene, rap power flow scene, get it back going. I, Cause I, I really generally love hip hop. Um, it was a part of our yeah. culture. I like, I like, um, I like the, the music. I like the beats. Um, I don't like what a lot of rappers rap about because there's a lot of arrogance behind. What mm-hmm. one thing I don't like about rapping is that these guys feel that they need to be arrogant, and you don't have to. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, and it's just it's a cliche. It's uh, it's and it, it, and a lot of rappers fall on their face. When, you know, they think, you know, oh, all I got to do is write about my jewelry and, and, and the drugs I sell <laughs> and, and the girls. Yes. I'm with. And that's the first thing that Ray writes about uh, uh, and maintain the first song. He says, I don't, oh, excuse me, on a plate, the place to be. Says, mm-hmm. uh, and the very first line, he says, I don't care how many women you're with or how many, how much drugs you sell. This is what I do. I'm real. I'm, I come from hip hop. I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know. Uh, and when we were when we were writing the demos and you know when we were going to the drawing board for this album when we didn't have you know anything to start with when we were flat from the bottom starting to write our music Ray and I would share a lot of music that we were into and um, Ray hadn't really been uh, in touch with a lot of the new rap like myself because mm. I, I go I hang out with Be Real at a studio and um, I, I, I go, I'd go often because I, I helped build his record, his, uh, his, uh, his broadcast studio and his uh, cannabis grow studio. You know, I've, I've, I have uh, uh, experience in wood framing and construction. So hmm. real always called me and, Hey, can you help me do this? And can you help me make this wall and build this wall? And so for years I've always helped be real. And so when we finally finished his broadcast studio where he does all his podcasts from the Dr. Green Thumb show, um, we, uh, what was it taking me to, uh, um, we, uh, it, it's, it, it's just, uh, he, he has, he has a way of, you know, showing me how to show me what's out there. You know, he has a lot of DJs come in, they have a DJ show. And all these DJs come in and they they play all the new rap and I hear everything and all these great DJs come in and for his show and and it's it's an amazing place where you get DJs from all over the world and they come in and they and they gather and and they just show me all this new music. So I would show Ray, I would send him all this music. This is what's happening. This is what's out there. And he tells me it's all garbage. It's all garbage it's all bullshit they all talk about the same shit they all talk about uh 
the same thing, jewelry, drugs, and, 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 and having sex with women. And it's just yeah, all, all gangster shit. Yeah. All gangster shit that the regular person can't relate to. Yeah. So in a nutshell, man, you know, I, I, he, you know, I was just trying to get Ray up to date with, with, with what's out there because he just, he wasn't really in, uh, interested in, and, and so we just share ideas and stuff. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, it, I could see where rap can be very, uh, and it could be really bad. I could see where it could be very uninspiring. Some of these, these guys that are making tons of money. They have a platform to say something good, something, something positive, And they just, they just shit all over it. And, and to me, you know, uh, when you have an opportunity like that and, and you want to throw it away with, with saying, you know, with, with being irresponsible with lyrics, you know, you have a response. I think you have a responsibility as a role model. Once you get to that, to that point, you know, you have, you influence a lot of people. And I just think guys throw away their career when, when they talk about nonsense and empty subjects. And so mm. they have a good opportunity to say something and they just throw it away. And there are a lot of these rappers are doing that. And I could see where, you know, where people just want to hate rap. But for me, um, when we were doing this album, you know, I told Ray, I go, Hey man, you kind of lost, that b-boy in you, that rap guy that made Downset who we are, because we are rap core. Um, the last two albums kind of, you know, I wasn't a part of, uh, it went, yeah. they, were go they were going in a different direction. Not necessarily that, I'm not saying that I didn't like it. Um, it's just a different direction. And so I wanted to bring back the sound, the original sound. And- um, Yep, and, I can hear and, that. And, yeah. And I think we, yeah, man, I think we nailed it as far as um, bringing that old school sound. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go into so many different directions, but like in a nutshell, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not jealous of these bands that, like Limp Bizkit. Um, they're actually, they're really, really, really nice to me when they see me. Okay. Um, Fred Durst loves Downset. He says that Downset is his, his inspiration to make Limp Bizkit. He told me that. Holy shit. Uh, okay. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah, man. He, we were, uh, it was nine, it was two, the year 2000 and we did a show in San Francisco. It was, uh, it was when we released the Skull and Bones and we were doing radio shows. We were doing stadiums and amphitheaters. It was the biggest, I mean, biggest thing I've ever was involved in. And we did a show in San Francisco and it was uh, Limp Bizkit, Stone Temple Pilots, No Doubt, uh, Deftones, Cypress Hill, um, and, and wow. a couple other, yeah. a couple other pretty big like bands. Doesn't get bigger than those lineup. That lineup does it. That's enormous. Yeah, it, it was it was great. And then so I was hanging out in, in uh, a, a backstage in our dressing room, and Fred Durst walks in, opens the door, and you know he walks in. He says hi everybody, and the very first thing he says is, "Who's the guy from Downset?" That's the first <laughs> thing he said. And then he looks over at this one, our bass player, he had these long dreadlocks and our bass player that was, that was a hired gun. He's got these, you know, he looks like a total rock and roll guy. You know, he got his tattoos, he's got his earrings, his piercings, long dreads. And he, are you from Downset? He's like, no, man, that guy right there, a guy that doesn't even look like he's in a band. <laughs> I don't look like I'm in a band, man. <laughs> I have no tattoos and, you know, nothing, man. I just, regular guy, you know, um, that blends in the crowd. And, and, and he, and he came over, shook my hand. He's like, he goes, man, I love downset. You guys inspired me to make Limp Bizkit. 
much respect. I saw him again. That was the first time I saw him. And then when we were doing the Power Flow album, he was in another room mm. and uh, he was really excited. He was, uh, he, he works his ass off. I'm going to, I got to give him credit, man. Cause okay. he shows up by himself 10 o'clock in the morning and leaves at 10 o'clock. And, and he has all this time booked at the studio and it's just for, uh, just, just, just to lay down ideas, but he's there 12 hours a day working every day, every day, like clockwork. And um, I, I give him a lot of props because of how hard he works. And, um, you know, I didn't get a chance to see him because he was, we were in the same studio, there's two different rooms. And um, I didn't get a chance to see him because we were both working our asses off. And if we did see each other, it was really late at night. It was like, hey, how was your day? Good. Oh, it's great. How's your day? Good. All right. See you, man. And then that's as far as our conversations went. And, uh, but he was, man, he was always nice. And then, I, and then I, we did the album and I saw him again at Grass Pop in, in, in uh, I think it was Belgium. Mm -hmm. That was 2018. And um, it's funny because we were in, in the catering and he likes to crack jokes on people. And he likes to, you know, he, he's, he's a big jokester. So mm -hmm. I don't want to get caught up in any of his jokes. And like, so I just kind of, you know, <laughs> my distance because yeah. I just don't want to be caught up in that. And um, so I'm eating and he's behind me. He's eating in the table behind me with Wes Borland and someone else. Mm -hmm. And I'm having a conversation with, 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 with our, our, our sound guy and, and, and my road tech. And I have my back turned turn, turn towards them and I'm eating and I'm, I'm hearing him taunt me and he's saying anger hostility towards the opposition anger hostility towards the opposition he's taunting me taunting and i'm mm. not listening i'm not listening and i get up i give him a wave and he smiles but i walk away because i just don't want to be a part of any of his his shenanigans right. yeah exactly mm -hmm. so but mm. you know i got to see their show um you know i it's really not my cup of tea some of the some some mm -hmm. of the music is not my cup of tea <laughs> great <laughs> but, but like some of the stuff is, 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 you know, groovy and, and, um, the crowd loves it. They love their, yeah. you know, they, they put on their uniforms and they paint themselves and they have a, it's just a whole different band than we are just a whole different, different thing. So, but they're, you know, they're really excited that, you know, I was there watching them. And they kept looking over at me and what's up. And I think, I think, you know, but I don't know these guys. I don't, Hey, they're from, I don't know where they're from. I know they're based in LA, but we've never crossed paths in the 30 years that we've been here. We just in different scenes, big, it's big city. So, um, you know, more, more power to them. I want them to do well. I want all these bands to do well, you know, and it only helps us, you know? But, yeah. I, I'm so glad that, I mean, he's they ride your coattails, to be honest. I mean, this is how I see it, okay? I'm a metal fan. I was reading about you guys in Terrorizer, Metal Edge, and Metal Maniacs before the internet came out, and then this fucking band comes out that sounds like the way that they do. As I said, I'm not necessarily having a dig at the musicians. They're, they're on a major label, you know, they've got to make it sound pretty sanitised, but then you've got Fred Durst up there acting the way he acts. That's the only way I can describe it. Um, and... You've got an album out like Do We Speak a Dead Language? 
which shits all over anything Rage Against the Machine or Limp Bizkit or any of those bands have done. And I think, why the fuck aren't the masses tuned into this? Because this is the real stuff. It's here, guys. What are you doing? Hey, hey, come over here. Here it is. But instead, we had we had the self-titled Rage Against the Machine record jammed down our throats. And, I mean, you guys had already released a self-titled album in, by 1994, which is about the same time the first Rage, Rage album came out. And it, it sort of went this way when I think that, it could easily have gone this way and it could have, with you guys, you guys could have been that band there. I don't think your, your music was as unpalatable to mainstream taste that right. it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't so metallic that it couldn't actually, it wasn't the death metal fans like me because that's what it was that tuned into you. It could have been the mainstream people that did that. But just to summarise everything that you've just mentioned there, thank you so much for sharing all of that because I think it puts it into context that it, the bands aren't necessarily at fault for their success, <laughs> I'll say that, and neither are you for from from the perspective that you can you can write a killer album with all of the wonderful riffs that you've put together, but if people don't listen to it, what can you do? On mass, I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, um, uh, some people are motivated by that by money. Um, mm. That's their motivation, and some of these bands, uh, a lot, you know, that, that are signed on on major labels have that focus you know they gotta they gotta put the business in front of things mm. and um some people's business plans uh, provide them to to dress in funky uniforms or look <laughs> a certain way you know or yeah. write in a certain template write a certain radio templates you know okay we got now the band sign on the major label let's try to get them on the radio now now write a radio song and then the bands are bands that sit back and say how do you write a radio song what's the template, you know? And so, um, you know, the, it, when you start to get into writing singles and, and, and radio, um, you tend to lose some of that, um, some of that, that real, that, that whatever your band's about, you're going to lose some of that. If, if you have yeah. something different, if you, if, if, you know, which is hard, which is hard to, to, to develop your own identity in this whole thing. That's the most important thing. That's that's going to set yourself apart from all the other bands. You got to you got to develop a, a, an identity. Mm. You got you know, your sound, whatever it is. And so when when your identity starts to get affected by you know by relevancy, which is a word, another word I don't understand. Um, uh, you know, you, you you hear people say, "Oh, you got to be relevant." to be able to get on the radio. Yeah. I don't know and what so that means. Yeah. To me, that means, oh, you got a copy to get on the radio. And by the time yeah. you get on, you, by the time you're, you record what you, the style that you're copying, there's going to be a new fad. So, um, you know, it's all tricky. It's all tricky. Some bands have a lot of luck. Um, some bands have a lot more help. Some bands have a lot more money behind them. Uh, you know, it, and, some bands, and when you get to that business, you have to have like-minded people in your band. Everybody's got to. If 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 you're in for the money, all four of them got to really think about how to how how to be making money and and mm. and think of ways how to make money instead of you know writing your music. You know, so uh, to me, it was just more important to to surround myself around people who are who are trying to develop and and progress our identity. And that's what's most important to me is to, you know, to keep our ethics and our sound. And that's why we stay relevant within ourselves. Mm. So, 
Um, you know, a lot of bands that, that get signed on a major, they get, they have a lot of pressure to, to, to write a, a big album. They put a lot of money behind them and, and mm. some band, a lot of bands, most of them fail, you know? And so yeah. there's a lot, you, know, you need a lot of luck. Um, sometimes I hear you need a gimmick, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's just a lot of different, it's just different ways of, of, of creating these things. And, and those are avenues that I just really, we weren't interested in. We, it just wasn't, we didn't feel good about it. It Just, you know, our ethics or what we believed in, it just wasn't how we did things. And um, we did things out of our artistic way. We did things out of, uh, you know, you know, doing things from our heart and, and, and making sure that, the, the most important thing of it all was making sure that we make ourselves happy first. That's the most mm. important. That's the only re- that's the reason why I came into this is because I wanted to record some songs, get it on a CD or a tape or LP, play it, listen and say, that's me. Ah, oh, that's me. I can hear myself. I can make my own music. I'm, I'm happy. Mm. That's the reason why I did it. It's because I just, I wanted to record and write music. Uh, Money, money, women, all that really wasn't in my head. It was just a matter of, I wanted to play my guitar, be a good guitar player, be able to write songs. Because when I, we first started this whole thing, we, you know, we, we were novice, didn't know how to write. We needed help. You know, I got help from my guitar teacher uh, with, with Downset, Roy Z. I brought him in and he helped us produce the first demos and, 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 and taught me how to produce records and, and, and write Roy songs. Roy Z from, from, as in Bruce Dickinson, he's worked at Bruce Dickinson. Holy shit, that's magnificent, brother. Yeah, yep. awesome. Roy Z, Roy Z was, was my guitar teacher when I was 15. And so oh, he, he was the Unreal. best. Yeah, he was the best guitar player in the Valley. And mm. he lived like five minutes away from my house. And so there was a group of us, of, of my, my pals that I grew up with in, in the neighborhood. There was four of us, little guitar guys. And, and Roy Z was, was, was the master guitar player. <laughs> and so he was badass he, for many years. And so he went on after reproducing the first three downset records. He did a Halloween album. He did Judas mm-hmm. Priest and yeah. uh, all his stuff and Bruce Dickinson and um, great producer. And at the time we were like his, it, it, the first band that, that he helped get signed was us. And he was, he was the one who helped us get out there and, and taught us a, a lot of insights of the music business. He had different ideas too for the band back in the day, but um, some good ones, some not so good. We took what was good and we didn't move. <laughs> some other ideas that he had were kind of, well, okay, you know, we'll give it a shot. We'll try it. But but uh you know at the end of the day he really helped shape our sound and um so yeah man um here we are here we are um here here you are indeed yeah oh man this has been a fantastic conversation you've shed so much light on things that i've been thinking about and i've got to be honest with you for the better part of 30 years when I'm a lifer, I'm 44. So I first got into you guys, you know, 1994, I had an awareness. I'd read the magazines, as I said. So it was hard to buy CDs back then because, yeah. you know, you used to go into the record stores and they had the CDs on the wall and you used to listen to the CD and go, oh, I want that one. But you didn't have the money. 
you know, and that's how I first heard you guys. I remember that. Um, 1996, you know, and uh, do we speak uh, a dead language? And I just remember being blown away. I definitely check your people was when I had some money and I could buy the albums. And uh, but it's, I guess this is my final question for you. Uh, I'm just conscious. I know you got to go to work, and the the um, yeah, the sun's come up behind you. But mate, when's the book coming out? Because you you have a story. You have a very important story, and you are an integral. You, you're hidden, but it's all you. You're the guy. So when you, do you think you're going to get it? Would you take the opportunity to tell your story is probably my best way of framing the question. I think the story is almost done. I think there's still, I think we need to knock out one or two more albums. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to really tie in the story. And because I, I, you know, I've thought about that. I've thought about a book. Um, I thought about a documentary. I thought about a small movie. Um, I, I, those things do come across my mind, but I've never, I've never been a part of anything like that. I've never been in a movie. I've never been in a book or written a book or try to write a book um, or, do, or documentaries. I've been in a few, but um, it's something that, uh, that we've talked about. Ray and I have talked about it, but as for right now, um, I think, we, I think a couple more albums and then, and then we can really, uh, settle down and start, you know, maybe write a book. And because mm-hmm. there is, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that we've gone through. There's a lot of things that, 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 that the downset following should know. Mm-hmm. There is, there's a lot of shocking things within uh, the progress of the band and, and how we became who we are, the things that, how it started, um, uh, the member changes, the fallouts, uh, the victories, the achieved goals, the great tours, the bad times. There was, we, it, it, we have, uh, this saga that we have is, um, um, definitely I, I hear that it's, we have a mystique and that there's people that, that really want to learn about us, but we're really not, um, putting it all out like we should. Um, so there is a lot of, there's a lot of things I want to talk about. Um, for right now, we just we we've been gone for so long, and um, you know the band's been gone for eight years, and we're trying to reconstruct it because it went in, it it went in a hiatus and then dissipated, and guys left, and then there was no downset. Yeah. So we had to come back to the drawing board with 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 no scraps. We had no scraps to work with. We had to build everything from the ground up, and. Um, we just gave birth to this album. It was two years in the making. So I think we're just going to let this ride out, hopefully do one or two more albums. And then we have, we're going to have a lot more information and really talk about, you know, everything that we've gone through from the development of, of the sound of the style to our, our, our personal upbringings and what we've gone through personally as, and our struggles as, you know, you know, we had a racially mixed band, right up the middle um we had two you had chris lee james morris and then ray oropesa and i so you had two Mm. two white guys two latinos and then um brian schwager um is 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 white and mexican mixed so so we're like half latino half white and um we we all went through uh, different struggles we all dealt with racism um We've all had, you know, all of us at one point have been either bullied or tried to have been bullied 
or been through a, a lot of a lot of violence. We've been through that, and and mm. some of the guys had dealt with crap because they're white. Other guys have dealt with in our, my band. Other guys, in like myself or Ray, have dealt with stuff because we're Latino, and so there was. Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of issues that we went through, and I would do, I really want to talk about a lot of these things, and um, I'm open I'm open to talk about anything. Any any journalist or any interview want to ask me about anything? I I have I mean, I'm willing to be open and talk about anything, and so um, I think I think when we do make a book. We're gonna we're we're gonna throw some stuff in there that, that that's gonna be pretty shocking. Just with what you said there, that you're willing to talk, and I know you are too, because we've talked about it, the politics, some of the racial shit that you've had to deal with there, and you talked about it from both sides. Of, but the perspective, you haven't gone that hard left route and said, you know, all white people are evil and all this sort of shit, which tends to be de rigueur for 2022 and the last couple of years, and it's just it's just ridiculous when you hear it, because. It's at a point now where the term racism has almost lost its venom because everybody's racist, okay? Everybody who isn't the blackest person alive is the most racist person that ever existed, according to some. And these, most of them, when you go online and you have some, not even interactions, but read Twitter, for example, which is just a giant sewer as far as I'm concerned, they're whiter than bloody, than a day, they're whiter than, uh, you know, Lily or what, they're Lily white, Okay. It's, it's this virtue signaling that comes out and we're just all having to live through this at the moment. And when you get an authentic, my, my point in amongst all of that, when you get an authentic voice like yours, it cuts through to the core, okay? And it may, and it can mean, it can be some of the, like, the change that's necessary or the, the catalyst that's necessary for change to follow afterwards. Are you following me? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what we owe well, as as you know, guys like me, or, or you're, you, you come to a position where, you know, you have a platform mm. and in the music, I, I didn't think of it that way of a platform for Ray. He, that's all he thought about, because this is my platform to talk about mm. what I want to talk about is very important to me. And this is my platform. I, I didn't, I didn't look at it that way. Cause I was just, all, all, all that was in my head was riffs, 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 and writing mm. music and audio gear. Really, that's what all that was in my head. And and Ray had a whole, whole different perspective of why he was in it. And I learned a lot from him. He helped he helped me be more active in 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 the political scene. Um, and I wasn't interested in it, but I was affected by it every day. And so. Um, I wanted after Ray inspired me to uh, he he inspired me uh, you know uh, with, with what was going on at the time he he talked to me and said you need to be more actively aware or, or, you know and and it's not just about you know your guitars and I, I'm a baseball player I was also at the time I was in college playing college baseball you know and it's just not about he's telling me it's not about your baseball uh, it's not about you know, your guitar, right from, you know, we got to use these, uh, we got to use these tools to help our society, you know, to help, you know, our scene, our music scene that, that is, you know, unappreciated. And so, you know, it, um, he inspired me and I, I, I learned a lot more. 
And um, I got into, you know, I followed Ray around to a lot of the things that he was involved in with, with his art, with his political art and the people that he, that he was involved in and a lot of political artists. And he did a lot of political murals around the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. a lot of it. And, um, um, I, you know, um, it, it's, it's unfortunate that, that racism is exists. And you said it, that, that, that everybody has a form of racism inside of them. Um, I don't know if that's natural, um, but it seems that, uh, you know, it seems like everybody wants to be accepted. They want to be loved, but they can't share that love. Mm. You know, and it's very simple. It's really easy to get along with somebody that you just met. And so that, that's how I, I, I approach people. I approach people with the clean slate. Um, and I, I do the best I can not to be judgmental off of that first impression because, you know, yeah, some people have a, a, really a, point. A, a, you know, a, a, a bad, bad day or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, I do the best not to be as judgmental. You know, uh, I, sometimes I am judgmental some, and I don't mean to be. Um, but with some, sometimes some people show me off the bat who they really are and, you know, I've, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been in, you know, like I said, I've been on a lot of baseball teams and a lot of bands and, and I have, you know, met a lot of people throughout my years of touring. And, and I, I, I think I'm pretty good judge of character after, mm-hmm. you know, you know, through all these years of, of, of meeting so many types of people, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the same thing. You know, we all want to be, we don't want to be judged. I don't want to be judged. I want to be loved. I want to be respected. And I think everybody else does. Everybody wants that same. We all want the same thing, but we have to give that what we want. Yeah. And so a lot of people have a hard time uh, being accountable, empathetic, you know, compassionate to people's, you know, you don't know what someone's going through. Mm. I have no idea what, what, what the battles that someone's going through. So they might say something that they don't mean, um, you know, so you, you have to give people a chance in, in, and even if he's an asshole, you still got to give him a chance and, and just say, you know what, that's his problem. I'm not going to let his energy affect me. I could, if I do, I'm going to have a bad day. I'll bring it back home. Uh, bring it back and argue with my girlfriend and she had nothing to do with it, you know? And, and so th- those are, you know, that's, that's how I get affected by things. And I try not to bring in negative energy back home. And, and I just try it's to hard nip though, it. isn't it? Yeah. It's just it's difficult hard. though, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's hard, but I try really hard to nip it and take a deep breath and then think of, think of all the blessings that I've, that I'm, that I have. And I, I, that's what gets me through. I, I think about my family, think about my mom, uh, my sisters who are very, very supportive, my brothers, my friends, and my family here at home, my, my girlfriend, lovely woman, and, um, and our family that we have here. It, you know, I, I think about these things and, and all that goes away. And if someone gave me, a, if someone cut me off in the middle of the road and gave me the finger, which, or I'm getting tailgated, which I hate. I hate when I get tailgated. It's the worst thing. So disrespectful. And the guy wants to kill me. You know, so I, I pull over, 
And then I just let him go by. I could give him the bird, but I decide not to because I open up the bad energy. Mm-hmm. Once I give the guy the bird, all this energy, bad energy starts to hit me and then I take it on through the day. So mm-hmm. instead of giving him the bird, I pull over, I look forward, let him pass, and I'll never see the guy again in my life. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. he could flip me off and then flip him back off. We have road rage. We pull over. We get in a fight. He shoots me or something. That happens a lot here. Got, you know, yeah, people get people tailgate each other, flash the bright lights, and yeah. then like pull over, pull over. A lot of that. This, this fight, yeah. get out, and the guy gets shot. And yeah. so um, it, it's just a matter of, of, of making the right decision at the right time and not opening up the floodgates of the bad energy. So now I just let the guy pass and tell myself, I'm never gonna see this person. Even if he flips me off, he rolls down the window and says, hey, you, you fucking wet back. Go, mm. Get out of here, go back to where you're from. And, I, and we hear that shit. Where I'm from, this is where I'm from, you know? But uh, I can let that, I can, I can let that comment carry me for the rest of the week rest you of the tell, month do, 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 you could easily yell back the spanish were there a long time before the english and the uh east coast americans were yeah you know I, I can, <laughs> that's the irony <laughs> you should be telling them to get back to where they're from technically speaking yeah, if yeah, they want to use that line and so i could get into it and then it turns into an argument and a fight and so i, I just rather you know i say a prayer for them it makes yeah. me feel better and hopefully hopefully that prayer my prayers listen, uh, God listens to my prayer and, and helps that guy. And, and, and something along the, of that day, something happens to him positively where he, he reflects and says, man, I felt bad for flipping that guy off and calling him a wetback or so, or whatever, you know? So those, those are the things I, I count on. I, I count on God a lot and, and I feel a lot better. And so, um, you know, it, and, and there, these tests happen every day. It happens at my work. It happens on the road. It happens in the studio. Um, mm-hmm. It happens within my bandmates. And you just you just gotta you know just just hold it down, take a deep breath, and know that we're all not perfect. And and just give the people the respect that you want back. And I think overall, I think it'll create more positive energy. Sage words and wise advice, my friend. I enjoy I enjoyed this chat a lot. Congratulations on an outstanding career. This album's killer. It's one of the albums of the year. I'm sure it'll be in my top 10 at the end uh, of it there. And, uh, yeah, man, just hope to see you down here sometime soon again. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. I, I, I have a really good time talking to you, and uh, I appreciate you taking time and, and interview, and I, and I want to apologize again for missing that interview. It was not my intention. No dramas at all. at all, brother. Yeah, no dramas Never whatsoever. So, all right, bro. You have a good day. You too, bro. No worries at all. Catch up soon. No all right. Bye-bye. All right. Catch up. There he is, ladies and gents, Rogelio Lozano. And as I said throughout the chat, his role and his influence is largely hidden, but it shouldn't be because without him, you wouldn't have the presence of so many killer heavy metal and rock riffs in the genres of rap and hip hop. He's really the guy that's been spearheading that now for some time. You can have your Rage Against the Machines and all the other bands out there that do that metal light. 
Rogelio is a no-bullshit heavy metal guitarist. Do check out Downset's catalog and dive into Powerflow whilst you're at it as well. You will not be disappointed. The guy can play a mean, grooving, riffing guitar. Now, for those of you who enjoyed that chat, and I hope you all did, there are plenty more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, you may even enjoy reading the book. It's titled Scars and Guitars, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. Click the link in the banner on the website. It'll take you to a marketplace, all the usual places, Google, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Angus and Robertson. There's many others there, depending on what territory or country you're in. You can download a sample, and if you do complete the purchase, if you do want to read the entire book, please hit me up because I want to thank you personally. So there'll be a bit more that I have to say about the book in the moment, but before we get to that, I want to say goodbye. My name again is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Please tune in again. I appreciate your company, and until next time, it is a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the the fans and the staying power of the the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, Playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was... He was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes 
to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book. <laughs>